Welcome to the Future Fits. In early October 2017, dozens of volunteers stood on Toronto street corners with clipboards, eyes on the road, counting. They were taking stock of the number of cyclists entering the downtown core during peak morning hours. The city of Toronto hadn't done such a count in recent years, and many worried the lack of up-to-date data led to poor decision-making when it came to cycling infrastructure. In response, urban planner Gil Meslin enlisted some 50 or more volunteers, urbanists and bike advocates, to gather the data themselves. There's power in data. If you know how to look for them, data can tell compelling stories and help municipalities make informed decisions about how to make the best use of limited resources. It's proven methodology in urban design, made common practice by people like Jan Gehl in Copenhagen. Nowadays, however, we don't have to rely on volunteers with clipboards. We're seeing data-gathering technology being integrated into our urban fabric. Street lamps could be measuring pollution. Stoplights could track traffic patterns. Trash cans could determine the success or failure of a recycling initiative. All of it interconnected and communicating, the so-called Internet of Things, all hidden in plain sight, the secret life of sensors. It's an immense opportunity and a major responsibility. You're listening to The Future Fix, solutions for communities across Canada. This is part five of The Future Fix, an audio exploration of the way technology and data are shaping communities across Canada. I'm Glenn Bowerman. Each episode, we present community challenges and solutions and take you to places large and small from coast to coast to coast. For many, the idea of everyday public objects silently keeping tabs on us is a chilling one. When people talk about a smart city where everything is being measured and relayed, and shaping the way the public realm is designed, programmed, and maintained, it's normal to think immediately of the potential privacy concerns. It's something David Feuer, director of the Canadian Internet Policy and Public Interest Clinic at the University of Ottawa, spends a lot of time thinking about. Well, I mean, as we're seeing in in China right now, right, both possibilities uh, are there, right? If we don't engage these technologies in a principled way, uh, if we don't control their use, don't uh, you know, ensure that the public benefit is put uh, front and foremost. Then we can, yeah, we can we can slide into that dystopian vision pretty easily. You know, on the other hand, using these technologies with foresight, with purpose, you know, and with with good governance principles in mind, and obviously with a you know with a close eye on the laws that apply, then we can benefit from these technologies. Right, and, and so the the work you do out of the center, uh, do you advise people who are looking to, hey, I think I've got an idea, but, uh, you know, I want to do it in the least uh, nefarious way possible. Is that kind of something that you you can lend your skills to? 
Yeah, so our, our clinic, we're at, we're at, we're at CIPIC, right, the, the Canadian Internet Policy and Public Interest Clinic at the, at the University of Ottawa. We're, we're a public interest technology law clinic. And so our, our mandate's pretty broad. It's to intervene on behalf of the public interest on uh, policy issues arising in the intersection of law and technology. And so that's how the smart city stuff fits within what we do. We do both kind of primary research, so we, we learn about this stuff, we, we figure out how are the laws going to apply to to these technologies? What are the dangers? What are the what are the potential benefits? How do we how do we do this in a responsible fashion? But we also work with organizations in an advisory capacity to help them comply with the law, help them uh, identify, um, I guess, what the, what are the risks and benefits, and how do they maximize the latter while minimizing the former. In in terms of the existing law and policy uh, around uh, data and people's personal privacy. If we're talking about all these kind of smart city uh, nice-to-haves, what is already in place and, and what needs to uh, be talked about and maybe developed? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, there's um, definitely the privacy angle on smart city technologies. You know, it's kind of dominated the data governance conversation. Mm-hmm. And, and with good reason, because these technologies bring a lot of things to the table uh, that have privacy implications. Like, so, for example, like uh, streetlight sensors and things like that. Some of these things involve Internet of Things technologies, which is which are sensors, right? The sensors gathering data uh, out in the world in places where we don't ordinarily think of ourselves as being well surveilled, right? Let, let, let's call it what it is, right? Being being surveilled, right? And so uh, that you know, in and of itself, raises an interesting challenge. All of a sudden, you know, we're we're collecting information about individuals, about their movement uh, when they're out in public in a place when they're not expecting it. But also, they they raise other issues like public-private partnerships, whereas in the past, municipal services would be offered by a municipality. Generally speaking, a municipality would run it, would you know, collect the information, would would manage the information, would govern the information, and they would be subject to the public suite of privacy and access to information laws that kind of make sure that, that, that our personal information is governed in a responsible fashion. Uh, when you bring public-private partnerships into the equation, all of a sudden you've got private sector agencies who are not subject to the same level of uh, legislative oversight around data. They've got their own um, area of, of commercial privacy regulation that they have to comply with, but it's different uh, and arguably less transparent than what uh, governments uh, are subject to. So all of these things raise, raise issues. And, and the fact that we've got Internet of, of Things, you know, sensors out there means that, you know, that there's, there's no shortage of potential applications that you can see. If you can imagine a sensor collecting information about our movement, then you can probably imagine an application for it. Just to ask maybe an obvious question, but uh, uh, we do street counts, uh, but I, I assume uh, this is a kind of, the caution that we have when we talk about this kind of data collection, uh, once it's digitized, is is a slippery slope argument. But I, I don't want to assume. So, what do we have to be cautious about? Well, you know, we're, we're focusing on privacy again, which which is uh, which is good. I mean, I think the first and foremost principle is basically analyzing what are you collecting, right? Like what what is the information? What's your use case? What are you trying to learn about? Mm-hmm. And applying the technology that's suitable to that use. And what we're talking about counting, street counting, that's a, that's a great example. Somebody sitting in a chair with a clicker counting people that go by or, or a magnetic loop uh, counter, for example, underneath a bicycle path. Those are 
perfect for that use. That's all they're doing is, is counting, and they're not collecting anything more than that. But you could theoretically do the same thing with a camera, right? Using a camera and either a person or some technology uh, to capture that information, right? To, to visualize, you know, record people who are passing by this space. Uh, and that will capture personal information. That's capturing way more information than you need for your purpose. If you just need to know numbers, then you shouldn't be making sure that you know, you're not using technologies that are collecting more information than, than, than what you need. Uh, are there other concerns that come up and are there other possibilities that we don't really talk about as much when we talk about this kind of uh, digital data collection? Yeah, definitely. Um, these will loosely be captured, I think, you know, under the concept of data governance, right? Mm-hmm. One, one is is uh, just the concept of, what well, we call it who owns the data. Data is a weird thing in law. It's, it's difficult to own data. We usually say that data is not property in the same way that, you know, your, your, your bicycle is property or even that a copyright is property. Mm-hmm. Copyright in a, in a novel, for example, that we're, we're comfortable saying that's property, even though it's intangible. Data is a little bit unusual in that it doesn't have a nice, neat category that we can kind of grab it with and say, yes, this is property. And so that makes it a little bit loose to figure out how do we make sure that the right people are benefiting or, or that, that the population who's supposed to benefit from the technology is, in fact, benefiting. And so there's lots of concerns around things like control over the data, who's, who's the one that's ultimately responsible for controlling the data. Mm-hmm. If we're talking again about personal information, how do, we, how do we ensure that appropriate data that ought to be subject to access to information laws, for example, is in fact being held by an, an organization uh, that's subject to an access to information request, like the municipality, and, and, and not like a private sector party. Similarly, uh, just the idea that a lot of these technologies one of the fundamental benefits of their use is the data, right? The collection of the data and, and the potential application of that data to other uses. It's again, it's a governance issue to make sure that the structures are in place to make sure that the municipality, the people of the municipality are the ones that are benefiting from that or have a, the right to benefit from that. Uh, well, David, uh, I, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me on. Now, as I've said before, and as we've seen in previous episodes, there is power in data. But that doesn't mean it can't or shouldn't be taken advantage of. Susan Chase is Director of Innovation and Strategic Initiatives for the town of Newmarket, just outside of Toronto, which recently installed 10 benches in strategic areas, which are more than just a place to take a load off. Newmarket is a geographically small town in York Region, so we are part, considered part of the greater Toronto area, but we are one of the most densely populated uh, municipalities, uh, certainly in, well, in Ontario, actually. Uh, so we're about 14 square kilometres in size, but we have about 90,000 population. So we are considered an urban centre, mm-hmm. uh, not rural. Your job with the city is you're specifically looking at innovation for the city of Newmarket. Yeah, my responsibility, my title is actually Director of Innovation and Strategic Initiatives. Mm -hmm. Uh, My background, however, is IT. So uh, within the innovation portfolio uh, comes all things um, kind of digital, smart cities, intelligent communities, um, that sort of thing. And smart city is a a term that we're hearing a lot of. Uh, What does that mean to you? Um, That's 
a good question, and we're really just embarking on it. Um, to me personally, I think it means using data to help make our decisions in a better way. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got an awful lot of information as a municipality, and we tend to keep it in its particular areas where we actually really need it so for, the, for the business purpose. But we know the value of that data now. We're getting to understand it more and more and being able to access more and more information and use the data, analyze it. It's, you know, that buzzword, the evidence-based decision-making, but it's proving to be true. And one of the things that you're doing in New Market to, to help gather this data is a thing called a SUFA bench. There are about 10 of them, I think. Can you explain for our listeners exactly what is a SUFA bench? Okay, well, first of all, to us, I think the SUFA bench, um, it's literally a park bench, mm-hmm. right? But it's got components to it. So I'll say, first of all, for us, it was really a very visible sign of the sensor collecting data. So it wasn't a hidden device or anything like that. Not that devices are hidden, but they're often in cameras or up on streetlights. This is very visible that everybody can see. The SUFA bench appealed to us because it is a park bench, so just part of our street furniture, but it's got a center component to it that has a solar panel, so it's fully charged by the solar panel, so it's off the grid as well, so it appealed to our environmental concerns and directions. Mm -hmm. But within this piece are the components that are actually collecting the cell phone data as as people walk by. So every cell phone kind of pings out to pick up Wi-Fi signals if it can. And it collects that ping. Um, for us, with this particular program, another thing that appealed to us is the data is collected by this third party. It's encrypted right away. So we have no access to it. So we, privacy is super important to us and protecting the privacy of our residents, of course. So we have no access. So we can't identify anybody, any information about the cell phones, mm-hmm. just that a phone walks by. So it collects that data, and then so we can track that cell phone as it walks through the our SUFA network. So it's we've just got it in our downtown core. So as you pass by the next bench, it records that as well. So we can identify traffic patterns. We can identify counts of people who have attended events, that sort of thing. And obviously, it's not 100% accurate. Not everybody has a cell phone. Mm-hmm. Some people carry multiple devices. But it's it's more accurate than our visual count that we used to do. And these also charge your cell phone if you have one? Yes. Yeah, so they are a charging device as well. So you, if you have your cord with you, you can charge your phone. Mm-hmm. And again, it's all charged by a solar panel. So it's off the grid and uh, makes sense. And beyond the goal of, uh, as you say, evidence-based planning uh, for the city, uh, what was the problem you were trying to fix and how did you arrive at SUFA benches as a solution? Number one, we wanted to delve into data and analytics to see if it is something that we need to be doing. As a smart city, you know, it's all the buzzword, it's all out there. So we wanted to test the waters and see essentially a pilot project to see how valuable data can be to us. Mm-hmm. So I talked with various business departments here at the town and asked them questions. You know, what sort of data are you interested in? And for example, our planning people, they wanted to know the patterns that people walked. You know, were they walking along the sidewalks that we did, or did they create their own trails? Everybody's been in the park where you see the well-worn path where people go as opposed to the trails, so they were interested in that sort of thing. The kind of desire lines, as they call them. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Our events people, uh, they wanted to know how many people were attending these events, and then where were they congregating as well? So, for example, we have our major Pride Weekend that happens, and the first year it was set up in a certain way on a certain footprint in the area, But after analyzing the data, we found out that people were actually congregating somewhere else. So we put one of the main attractions over in that area because it just seemed to make sense. Mm -hmm. 
we also do uh, for maintenance requirements that. So if we know that we have a very popular event going on or even just a really popular Saturday for some reason, we can take a look at the data and, and realize that we have to send our maintenance people, the crews out, uh, pick up garbage, do a little bit more cleanup, that sort of thing. The process of bringing specifically SUFA benches to a new market, uh, how, how did that begin? I actually heard about it from a member of our community. Part of my job is working quite closely with several people in our community who all want to create like that smart community. Mm-hmm. So these are some of our community partners, like our library, the Chamber of Commerce, um, the hospital we have here, Hydro, that sort of thing. So it came through there. They had seen it somewhere. I don't even know where. Like I said before, we really liked the visibility of it. This was something very open. So we have signage out there as well, letting people know that we're collecting this data. But it's also, you can see it very easily. And uh, people have responded very positively to it. So that's why the SUFA bench. We were also very interested in the network of data that was available. So by buying into this program, we actually buy into the overall SUFA network. And so we have access at a very high level, of course, no details again, of all the other communities who have some kind of SUFA devices in the data that's being collected. Right now, we're the only one in Canada. So to compare us to American cities is a little bit trickier, but it is interesting to see how, you know, in some ways we're not that different. But uh, on the other side, when we talk about smart cities and data gathering, uh, I think privacy concerns uh, come up. Have people expressed uh, concerns about that? And, you know, things like when you mentioned that it goes through a third party, um, does that third party have access to the data as well? Well, How does that break down? So we worked uh, actually very closely with the Ontario Privacy Commissioner's Office Mm -hmm. when we were starting in this program. They gave us advice on things that we didn't know, certainly, and they also validated some of the things that we did know. So we had to be sure that we had policies in place, um, that our contract covered the privacy concerns of us in Ontario because it is an American company, and it was a startup company. So they they didn't know this sort of thing either, so they learned a lot as well. Right. Uh, so by working with them we and by talking with some other communities, so, you know, I talked to other municipalities, my colleagues in other, other cities in that in towns, and found out what they did. And that's why we created uh, the information that's available on our website. Um, those are all of our policies. We've got more internal policies going on and the signage and everything that we had to do. As for feedback, we, we did get, you know, a couple of questions about it. We have talked about the SUFA benches and the data collection at the Newmarket Home Show. Uh, we've had various town hall meetings where we invite the public into actually the municipal office. And we've always had the SUFA bench there and we answer questions there. People are actually pretty understanding. Um, they know that their data is being collected now. They want to know that as government, we're not using it for purposes that we shouldn't be. And they want to know that we're doing everything that we can to protect that data as it's being collected. And they've been very satisfied with our policy so far. So it sounds like uh, you're already taking action based on the data that uh, is collected by these benches. You mentioned uh, public events. Um, are these scalable things that you can spread beyond just the benches and that kind of thing? Uh, is there a way to, uh, you know, make new market even smarter? That's our goal, certainly. Um, it's actually, we have, as with most municipalities in Ontario, we had a new council was elected last year. They defined their strategic priorities for this term. And one of the priorities that was identified was to find more ways to be smarter and to embed smart technologies in some of the work that we do. Mm-hmm. So what we're doing right now is we take a look at projects that are happening and we identify if there are smart components to it um, that would be of benefit. And then we do the analysis of that to determine if it's something that we should be doing. So for example, we have to replace the water meters in town, residential and commercial water meters. Um, They're just old, end of life. So 
as we were defining that project, we decided that the best thing to do for us and our customers is to put in install smart water meters so that we can have access to the data so we can identify things like leaks and problems as soon as possible through the smart components. But also, not immediately, but somewhat, a little bit in the future, customers will have access to their own water consumption data, and they can get the alerts about leaks or problems or anything. It must seem in this day and age uh, that there's almost like a, a huge a la carte menu for municipalities to pick from when they're trying to uh, begin uh, gathering data in a way uh, that, that's uh, beneficial. How, how do you choose? How, how do you wade through all the things that are now on offer? It has to make sense to us and our operations. And we really do have to have the capacity available to work with the data. Mm -hmm. So we try to go through that business case development, if you will, and identify, you know, really what are the benefits that we would receive? Are there any risks with collecting this data? Uh, Can we do it? Does the business department need it? Does our technology group, are we able to access it appropriately? That sort of thing. Because you're right, there is, there's far too much out there. And to really prioritize I think it depends on each individual community to define what are their priorities. All right. Well, Susan, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. No, you're very welcome. Thank you. The power of the Internet of Things and what we've come to call smart city technology is making everyday infrastructure pull double duty. A bench isn't simply a bench. It's an essential tool of civil engineering. A lot needs to be done to ensure that power isn't abused. But for Newmarket, Ontario, letting everyday street furniture help with urban planning is the fix. Thank you for listening to The Future Fix, solutions for communities across Canada. We are a partnership between Spacing Magazine and Evergreen for the Community Solutions Network, a program of Future Cities Canada. As the program lead, Evergreen is working with Open North and partners to help communities of all sizes across Canada navigate the smart cities landscape. The Community Solutions Network is supported with funding provided by Infrastructure Canada. This podcast was produced by myself, Glenn Bowerman, and Neil Hinchley. Original music composed by Neil Hinchley. Special thanks to Julie Fader and Joe Flatt, who both helped conceive this project. They're both moving on to new things, and I want to wish them the absolute best. Tune into our special French language episodes hosted by Katia Gaïd, and we'll be back with part six of our series, all about tech solutions for climate crisis and disaster preparedness. <laughs>